will praise you, O God, by few or by many, O God. For your name is great and greatly to be praised, O God. You are great and greatly to be praised, O God. There is no God like you, no God like you, no God like you in heaven and in earth, O God, O God, O God, we worship you, you are worthy to be praised, you are worthy, O God, we lift our hands in praise, almighty God. There's no place we'd rather be than in your presence. Because in your full presence there's fullness of joy. Yes, At your right hand there are pleasures evermore. We would rather spend one day, oh God, in your house, mighty Father, than a thousand in the courts of kings, oh God. For you give us what the kings could never give to us, oh God. We thank you, my Father, for peace, for joy, for contentment, for well-being. We thank you for your presence, your protection, and your power, oh God. For nobody can snatch us from your hands, Father God. We have security in you, oh God. We have security in you. Thank you, Father God. Blessed be your name, oh God. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. So, um, I, um, on my way here, I, know, I don't know if you remember the last time I was ministering. I told you I carry two phones, right? And that if one of those phones went off, as much as I love you guys, I would have to leave. So that phone call came just as I was driving into church. <laughs> uh, the critical business system that had to be, and, and that's kind of my area. And I couldn't leave it, so I was torn. And, and there's a reason I think God allowed that to happen. Because at the end of the day, God has a task for us to do, and man has a task for us to do. And so when God calls... And man calls, who do you answer? That was a practical, that wasn't the, uh, a uh, theoretical question for me, because I had to answer that question. And so as I was getting ready to leave the house, I, uh, one mind was saying, well, they will understand when I explain to them what it is. And the other mind was saying, you know, God will make a way if I stand in obedience. And, and even if I decided to stay, well, it would have been a legitimate reason. Because obviously, a general doesn't leave his soldiers in the thick of war, right? And I had my people that were working with me on this problem. And I was essentially in the role of their general. Would I abandon them in the middle of war? But then, God calls. And when God calls, what do you do? So I purposed, again, this, um, this, I'm not talking about how virtuous I am because any call anybody makes in that situation could be a right call, depending on what the Spirit is saying to you there. If the Spirit is saying stay and resolve this issue, then you need to stay because God will take care of the church business. But if the Spirit is saying go to church, then you need to go to church because God will take care of that uh, work business because it is the same God that has called us to work. And so I said, I'm coming to church. And I got here in enough time to be able to talk. That's why I was in the car, trying to uh, troubleshoot and resolve that issue. And would you know that with six minutes to, uh, within six minutes to seven, what is eight? When did I finally step in here? Whenever I did get in here, the matter was resolved. <laughs> and it was resolved out of the blues because all of the things that we tried, we're not working. But then, things started working. So as we stand here today, I can't tell you what we did to fix it. But I do know it's fixed. So for me, that's a practical demonstration that God is in fact in the little decisions of our lives. And that it's more important for us to answer the call of God when any other call, call comes. It is critical that we do that. The Bible says, choose ye today whom you will serve. And so I purposed that I was coming to church. Uh, and, and again, uh, I think of Abraham and, and the uh, mountain, uh, Moriah, Mount Moriah, with his son there. God had asked for the son as a sacrifice. And Abraham had purposed in his heart that he was going to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he could have wrestled with God. I mean, he could have wrestled with all of the demons and all of the voices that are whispering in his ear. After all, didn't God make you a promise that through your offspring, 
the uh, nations that as 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 broad as the uh, as 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 the stars are, and then the sands and the uh, seashore, that that's how your generation will be. So it must be the devil that is whispering. This is the hand of the devil telling me to kill this boy. So Abraham had to know in his knower, inside of his heart, that God had given him that instruction. And can you imagine? And the Bible doesn't tell us he consulted with Sarah. And think about Sarah, the woman that carried this child for nine months. Yeah, Abraham did his job, but the, the uh, what do they call it? The, the, the yes, the, the um, what's that when women throw up? Morning sickness. And then, then the, honey, do I look fat and all of that? <laughs> Does this outfit make me fat? All of that stuff, the day-to-day business of carrying that child was Sarah's. And so Sarah could identify with that child in a more intimate way than perhaps Abraham. I'm not calling him, but we know these things, that children tend to bond with their mothers uh, first and uh, more than they bond with their fathers. And so, but Abraham loved his wife, Sarah. In fact, because of his wife, Sarah, he had to send away his own son. Whether we like it or not, Ishmael was a son of his. An illegitimate son of his. Ishmael was not illegitimate because uh, following the customs of the time, he just was not a child of promise. And so I'm thinking, if those of us that are fathers in here, when you have to take your son, uh, especially if you haven't had children, if you didn't have children for a long time into marriage, and you have to take that child and go offer that child. And as you're taking that step, you're thinking about your wife. Now, how am I going to explain this to my wife, Sarah? Because this will kill her. This is the child for whom she had waited. This is the child for whom she sent away her own child. How am I going to explain this to Sarah? How am I going to explain it to all of the people that are looking up to this child as the seed of promise from which God was going to do all of the things he had purposed to do? How am I going to explain it? So just put yourself in the place of Abraham and and, and as a man, begin to kind of process the thoughts. Because sometimes we read the scriptures and it's sanitized, right? You you, You know the outcome. So you can't really connect with the emotions of the moment. There were certain things that were going on in Abraham's mind that the scriptures do not articulate, which we as people probably understand. But even in spite of that, and all the voices whispering in his head that maybe this isn't the voice of God, maybe this is the enemy trying to take this seed of promise. After all, the Bible has told us there will be contention between your seed and the seed of, uh, this seed of Satan and the seed of uh, the woman, that there will be contention. So maybe this is the enemy's strategy to get me. In the end, it was the voice of God. But what am I saying? God had already made provision for that ram in the bush. There is no... So, and Abraham's eyes were not open to the provision of God until his heart was purposed to obey God. For in his mind, Isaac was a dead child. Isaac was dead for all practical purposes. It was just the act of getting him to that dead state. But in Abraham's mind, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Isaac was a dead man. And so the inclination of his heart at that moment in time to obey God was in fact what opened his eyes to the provisions of God. Because sometimes most of us are looking for God to make a provision before we obey him. We always want to see the way out before we take the first step of obedience. But in God's purpose and in God's economy, 
the obedience will pre precede the manifestation. So that your, your faith is the evidence of things not seen, the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith says it is done before the first act is uh, performed. And that's why Abraham is the father of faith. So, if you again think about the children of Israel, when they were going from Israel to the promise, uh, Egypt to the promised land, we know they crossed two seas, right? They crossed the uh, Red Sea and they crossed the Jordan. But the method by which they crossed the, uh, the, the seas was different. In the first instance, in the Red Sea, Abraham, ha Abraham had to put his rod out across the water. God separated the waters. The children walked out on dry ground through the uh, Red Sea. When Pharaoh's army tried it, they were consumed in the Red Sea. But however, in the second instance, God said, have the priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their back, have them begin to walk into the water. And as uh, this was before anything happened in the water, and as an act of obedience, that's why sometimes when God speaks something, it says the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And if we try to process what God is saying, through our rational human understanding, there is no capacity. We have not enough capacity in our processes up here to ever discern the will of the in or intent of God. And that's why faith is an act of obedience. And so they put their faith. They continue to walk. And the moment they put their faith, this time their feet had to enter the water before the waters parted for them. And so God ultimately is leading us into a place of obedience. Because if we purpose in our hearts to say, because God said it, I choose to believe it. And because I choose to believe it, I'll act, act on it. God will open dimensions and ways. For me, that was the lesson for me this night. That even though we were talking on Sunday about the uh, parable of the minas, or the parable of the uh, servants and the uh, master that had given uh, uh, minas to his, uh, the master that had given minas to his servants, and uh, asked them to go do business, occupy till I come. Um, we were talking about all of that. It, it's important to understand this, that th there's a distinction. There's a distinction between saying something because the master has asked me to do it and doing something because it makes sense to me. Your sense will never lead you into obedience. Some things will make sense, yes, because faith can be rational sometimes, okay? But faith and your, your sense are two different things. When God says do it, purpose in your heart to do it, it may look foolish to you, it may be incomprehensible to you, but do it. There's a purpose and a reason for it. So I'm going to kind of take the uh, next few moments to recap some of what we talked about. Uh, we read from Luke 13. Uh, Luke 19, verses uh, 1 through 29. But the specific verses of interest to us were uh, 11 through 13. And Jesus was essentially going into Jerusalem. And that the, his uh, trip into Jerusalem was going to be the precursor to his uh, uh, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so he, um, there was uh, some question, some confusion in the minds of the disciples. Because they were asking him, Jesus had said something to them, and they were asking him, so, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And so Jesus understood that something was wrong with their, their understanding wasn't complete. And so he told them this parable to help them understand. 
And if you look at all of the characters in the parable, you understand what Jesus was saying. That Jesus wasn't telling them a story about something else. He was telling them the story of his own life. And so when we see, uh, hear the expression, uh, nobleman, we know we're talking about Jesus. Going on a trip and returning. He's talking about his going away and his second coming. When he talks about his servant, he's talking to you and I. And so that is the key to understanding this scripture. And so Jesus begins to tell them, basically, that I'm delegating authority to you. And, and, and he says to them in verse 11, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable to them. Oh, by the way, let me say this. Because if, remember, it was the disciples that were tasked with carrying on the job after Jesus was left. And if you don't know the, the uh, if you don't clearly understand the instructions, you may do the wrong thing. Right? If I give you instructions to do, do something, if your, my instructions are not clear and you don't ask questions, you probably will not do what I've asked you. There's a potential that you won't do what I've asked you to do. And clearly there was a potential there based on the questions that they, uh, these disciples were asking. Because they were talking about the kingdom that would be restored immediately. And Jesus was talking about, I'm going on a trip and I'll come back after a while. So they were thinking now, they said the, the nobleman was going to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. But they were talking about, I, will you now restore the kingdom? So there was a disconnect. And if these people were going to carry on the assignment that Jesus had given to them, they needed to understand the assignment. And so then Jesus starts to break it down into a parable, a story that will help them catch all of the things he had been saying to them all the time. So if you think about it, this was really the capstone. It was a refresher course. Jesus' final instructions to them to make sure they were on the same page. And so that's how we get into this. And as they heard these things, they added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should appear immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. And I said this story really is a parable. was a story about a delegation of authority. And then uh, with the key to the parables I've already explained. And so we began to talk about some observations that we took away from the scripture. We said the first thing is that we need to recognize that Jesus is coming back. Because in verse uh, 13, it says, the, uh, 12, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. If there's anything that we're not hearing these days, is the fact that Jesus is coming back. And we need to be reminded constantly that this time we have here is temporary. And a certain day, in fact, in Acts 1.11, the Bible says after Jesus has ascended, there were two men uh, came up to the disciples and said, why do you guys stand here looking up into the heaven? That this same Jesus, whom you see taken up, shall in like manner return. So, it, and there's, a, there's a tradition in Christian history that these were some of the two angels that announced the birth of Jesus. So they announced the first coming of Jesus and they will announce the second coming of Jesus. And he was giving them a heads up. So Jesus is coming. If Jesus is coming, it's important how we live today. Okay? If, if something is imminent that's going to happen to us tomorrow, it's important how we live today. And that's what Jesus was trying to get uh, these disciples to understand. So the question is not if Jesus is returning. It's when is he returning? 
But the more important question is that whenever he does come back, be it today, tomorrow, the day for, or, or a thousand uh, or hundred days from now, are we ready for his return? Will he find us faithfully doing the task that he has given us to do? Those are the important questions that we need to answer. The second point we were making was that the assignment was temporary and time-bound. And I said this to us. I said we have one day, we have one less day than we did yesterday to do what God has given us to do. We will have one less day tomorrow than we do today to do what God has called us to do. Time is not a renewable resource. Once time is gone, it is gone. You can never get it back. What you were supposed to do yesterday that you didn't do will remain undone for yesterday. Amen? So we need to act like people that have an assignment that God has called to do something, realizing that we don't have the benefit of time. If death doesn't catch up with you with time, the return of Jesus will catch up with you at some point. But something, time is marching on. And we need to treat this task that's been given to us with urgency. In John 9 verse 4, Jesus said, We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. So we need to ask ourselves, are we uh, faithfully and dutifully carrying out the assignment God has given to us? The third observation was that the authority of the nobleman was delegated without reservation. Um, in other words, when the servant spoke, it was as though the, the uh, master was speaking. When he acted, it was as though the master was acting. They had the full authority of the master. And in 1 John 4, 17, Jesus said this. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Uh, in uh, 1 John 4, 17, says in the NIV translation, it says, in this world, we are like Jesus. In other words, we have the full delegation of the authority of Jesus. When he said in Matthew 28, uh, all power is given unto me, all authority is given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. He delegated to us a full authority, his full power. He, in other words, when we speak, it's as though Jesus speaks. When we act, it's as though Jesus is acting. But we need to identify that. And let me say something about the authority. Because uh, we will notice that these servants, even though they had been delegated on authority, they didn't immediately go and print banners and, and posters and labels and put labels on their head. I'm, I'm now my master. I'm, now, I'm the master's. I, I'm rep, a master's representative. They weren't wearing any labels. They immediately went to work. Okay? So the issue of their identity wasn't even a question for them. The issue, the primary issue was we've been given a task. Let's go do it. What am I saying this? That any time, the, the purpose of authority is to get things done. The reason we have authority, whether you're a husband or a wife, a teacher or whatever, whatever your position is, the reason you have authority is to get things done. If you get that twisted, you become a dictator. Because the purpose of power is not to puff myself up. Oh, look at me, I'm vice president. Look at me, I'm president. Look at me, I'm chief pastor, senior apostle. I'm pope, I'm this. Because once you begin to look at yourself by what labels you carry and not by the authority that's been given to you to get things done, you become a tyrant. The primary purpose of authority is to get things done. Ecclesiastes 10, 16, 17 says it. It says, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a youth, and whose princes feast in the morning. It said, Blessed are you, O land, whose king is a son of nobles, and whose princes feast at the proper time. 
for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, a ruler understands timing and purpose that the authority is so that they can serve their people. So, so while I appreciate um, all the teachings on identity, you know, and it is great, we need to be affirmed in our identity in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. But your identity is not the end game. Your identity is the God's, God's mechanism for dealing with all the baggage we carry. Because if you come to a realization that, you know, God has delivered me and set me from, free from whom I used to be, that if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Like 1 Peter 2, 9 says, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I know there were stickers when I was growing up in the King's Kid and all of that. And people would have that badge and, and their Bibles and, and their cards. And there were identity that was tied to the fact that they were King's Kid. They haven't read the other piece of this scripture, of this scripture that said, we are all of those things. Because God has called us to declare the glory, to proclaim the glory of him who has called us out of darkness. So the reason why God calls us his royal priesthood, his holy nation, is not so that we will uh, sit and wallow in our new identity. But it's so that we can go forth and declare the glory of him who has called us out. Without the linkages and the chains and the things that we're carrying from our past. We have a new identity because we have a work to do. And we don't need to be tied out with burdens and chains. So, so the identity thing is good, but the identity is the means by which God frees you so that you can do the work that he has given to you. Uh, amen? Amen. Um, so we said there was an expectation of work because the, the, the uh, term, uh, the word, the Greek word that is translated uh, occupy is in fact a word that, that relates to doing business. We said that everyone was thoroughly and, and equally equipped. So each one got uh, mina. So every one of us has an equipment. God has provided for us to do, be able to do the work that he has given unto us. Um, uh, you may not know what your gift is, but the way you manifest that gift is be faithful in what you, where you are. Be engaged and faithful where you are. And then God will shine like his light into your dark areas. But if you prove your heart, God, I want to serve you. Show me how you have best equipped me to serve you or where you have best called me to serve you, where my gift will be maximized. As you're faithfully doing that which God has called you to do, he will begin to, they said the path of the righteous is like light of day. It shines brighter and brighter and brighter. And as you choose to uh, honor God and to serve God and to answer his call, your path will shine brighter and brighter. Amen. So... Okay, let me get beyond. I said because uh, we're all equally uh, uh, blessed that we don't need to compare ourselves to ourselves. I don't need to sing like you, Brother Deola. Okay? I don't need to. My gift is not singing. But I bet you there are things, I know Sister Ngozi will not agree, I bet you there are things that uh, um, I can do that you can't do. Right. So when we're preoccupied with counting what we don't have, then we actually lose sight of what we have. If Moses had been looking for all kinds of... By the way, David is an example. David was trained by a sling and, uh, 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 and stones. That's what he used to take out the bear and the lions. And so in his eyes, Goliath was no different. And so what was in his hand was what God used to take care of Goliath. All of Saul's uh, sophisticated equipment didn't work. 
It was what God had trained him with. So in our hands, it's what God has given to us. If we will yield our hearts to obey God, those things will become instruments in God's hands. Just like Moses' rod became the rod of God in his hands. Amen? And so there was an expectation of creativity, and I think I'll just um, uh, cut it short in righteousness. Creativity means, if you think about it, um, God, the master told them to go do business, but he didn't give them specific instructions for how to do the business. But each one of them, if they had been watching their master, would probably have been apprenticed under the, uh, their master, knowing how the master would do things. But I often wondered, why didn't the master give them specific instructions? And because, again, if we think about it, the scripture is talking to us as servants, and this is Jesus talking to us. Think about it. There are things that we take for granted today that 50 years ago they couldn't conceptualize. Some of the things we take in forms of technology, right, that we take for granted. Uh, I was, uh, my kids were talking about LPs and, and cassette tapes, and they, did, they had no concept of that. And in fact, some of the things that existed when they were younger, they have no concept. Those things have become obsolete. So what am I saying? That the charge doesn't change, going to all the world. But the strategy and the means can change. And God wants you to use your creativity. Be cognizant of your circumstances, of your time and your environment, and adapt your strategy to match your environment. In other words, let your, method, uh, your, your means match your message. And so creativity is left to the church. That's why we can't stick to the old formula of the past. Because the way they did it 10 years ago, 10 years ago was a different time and place. We're living in a different time. Let's adopt uh, our creativity and our strategy to reflect the times that we live in. Amen. And finally, there was an expectation of accountability and reward. In other words, when you have done the will of God, it is not for naught. Okay? Everyone, by the grace of Jesus Christ, gets to heaven. But when we get there, there are degrees of reward. Okay? And so... Um, Jesus is, is telling us, yes, you may labor, you may struggle, you may be unrecognized, people may not discern your gift, you may be the one that cleans the bathroom and everybody walks by you and nobody recognizes you. You're not the man that stands up in front of uh, the church every day yelling and screaming because we kind of, uh, we, we, we promote and we exalt the speaking gift. But you know the speaking gift would not function. If this mic were not functioning properly, there was nothing I could do. If this church were not clean, you wouldn't want to sit in it. If, if there was no money to turn the lights on, we wouldn't have a church. So essentially, there are things that, that are more important than are hap that are happening in the background that need to happen for things that we exalt. The Bible tells us this, that the parts of the body that are least honorable, we pay the most attention to. And so... It is important then that we recognize that when we, some of us will be shocked on that day when we stand before the Lord, getting our rewards, that some of the people that we walk by because we diminished or, or, or um, did not recognize their ministry are the ones that are going to get the greatest rewards in heaven. Like the widow's might, the woman that gave her widow's might. Probably, people probably ignored her, but Jesus recognized her. So be faithful and diligent, no matter what the area of your ministry is. No matter if pastor never calls you up to acknowledge what you're doing. If people never speak about how good you are, 
and all of that stuff. And, and you never get the recognition. Be faithful and diligent in what God has called you to do. Because the master is the one that will give the reward. Not me, not you, Sister Ngozi, not Brother Sam. The master who gave the task is the one that's going to give the reward. And I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm hoping it's good. But I'm not making any assumptions because I'm here yelling at you that somehow my reward is going to be greater than maybe there's somebody in this church. When they stand before Jesus, Jesus will give them that golden robe. Amen? So what's my charge? Be faithful and be diligent. Find a place to plug in. Connect with the master's agenda in your life. Be faithful to that calling. Just like the people that went before us were faithful. Christians have had major impact in every area, in government, in education, in healthcare, in science, in the field of religion, in finance. Mozart, I'm not Mozart, Bach, Handel, Michelangelo, were all believers. You've heard uh, Hensel's uh, Messiah. For him, every composition was an act of worship. Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel, he said he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So as he was painting that thing that's in the Sistine Chapel, that God was giving him a message for humanity. So these are people that have impacted all fears of life. And again, we all have different, Mother Teresa did what she did in Calcutta. But there's a guy in this church that was Jim Rogan. Most of you don't know Jim Rogan. You never met Jim Rogan. Did you meet Jim Rogan? No. Jim Rogan was, um, no, you don't know him. Jim Rogan was the, I guess, the only white member we had in church. I think he was from Hawaii. I don't know where he was. But God called him to missions. God called him to Zimbabwe. And so he uprooted and went to Zimbabwe, a short-term mission. And I think he caught something. I don't know what he caught. But whatever he caught was just devastated and basically came here, got sick, and was quarantined and died. And we buried him. That was my first funeral in this church. And the, after that, if you say we're going on missions, <laughs> nobody wanted to put up their hand to go to missions. But because of Jim Rogan's, his, 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 his wife and his daughter, they eventually moved away to California. But apparently, the wife has been faithfully going back to Zimbabwe to serve the people because of the seed that Jim Rogan sowed there. So Jim Rogan's life has counted for something. We may not recognize it, but there's a seed of his life that was sown for the nation of Zimbabwe. That's why I believe that God is doing a mighty and a massive work. So he was faithful to his own calling. We, don't hear, we haven't written books about Jim Rogan. You don't hear about Jim Rogan in the TV. But Jim Rogan is a general in the kingdom of God. Because I know he's sitting in the presence of God now. Jesus said to him, welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. So my challenge to us is this. We can be comfortable doing church or we can step out and take a risk for God. It is a principle in, in investment, investment that the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So if you want to build wealth, you don't invest in treasury bills and government bonds because those are pretty secure assets. The, but the chance for losing your money, very slim. If you want to make money, the mechanism for wealth accumulation is to buy stocks because stocks are very risky. You could lose all your money. But because of that degree of risk, the reward is greater. A woman, went, uh, when she started at Microsoft, and I'll be rounding up here in one minute, she started out as an administrative a secretary. Um, Microsoft couldn't pay very much at that time. So what they did was they gave her what they could afford to pay her in terms of money. 
but then gave us stock, Microsoft stock. This was what, in the 80s. Ultimately, the lady held on to her stock. By the time she retired at uh, 56 or 60, she was now a millionaire, not because of what Microsoft paid her in money, but because of the stock that she had held on to. Now, that stock was a measure of risk. She held on to that. I'm saying to us, the deep things, the profitable things, the good things don't come when you sit in the safe and secure corner. Be willing to go out there and take a risk for God. Be willing to pray for that person who, you know, it's an uncomfortable environment. When we were traveling to Zimbabwe, we stopped at the South African airport, Johannesburg. All of our activity. Notice this woman. She wasn't feeling very well. We walked up to her, everything. She said she's not feeling well. So in front of people walking by, the Lord said, lay hands upon her. We laid hands upon this woman and prayed for this woman. Not quiet prayer, but we prayed so that everybody. And when we were done, it was like the light in the woman's eyes changed. And so that, we wouldn't have seen that unless we had been willing to step out of our comfort zone. I'm saying take a risk for God, and you will see that the rewards will be great. Amen? Challenge yourself to be obedient. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, we want to do great and bold things for you. Father, you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Father, help us. You said the righteous are as bold as a lion. Father, let a spirit of boldness be birthed in your people, where we will obey you, my Father, regardless of the consequences, that we will act because we hear your voice say go, that we will go because your voice says go, that we will stand because your voice says stand. Father, you said the fear of man will bring a snare. Father, may the fear of man not keep us from obeying you, Father God Almighty. Father, take us, into the, take us out into the deep places, into the deep waters, my Father. Take us out of our comfort zones, my Father. Stir a fire under us, my Father. Light a fire under us, oh God, that will make us uncomfortable where we are. That we'll be willing to step out into deep waters with you. Father, thank you, my Father, because that's where the catch is. That's where the miracles are. That's where the great rewards are, my Father, when we will step out, when they encounter the experience of God. It's in the deep places. And we thank you now, Father God, for doing this and much more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.